All right, we are in the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 17. We're going to read verses 20 to 23. It's, again, the final discourse, Jesus praying for the disciples. And now he's going to pray for unity. And it's amazing that Jesus will pray for unity because here he is, effectively, the small group of men that are his disciples, effectively 11 guys, uh, and a a small circle around them that comprised the early church, but yet Jesus is going to pray for unity. Why? Because Jesus sees down the road. He knows what's going to happen in the years to come and the centuries to follow, and he will see that one of the things that will plague the Christian church will be a lack of unity. Not unity, but a lack of unity. So if you would open your Bible uh, to John 17, verse 20, and Jesus continues, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. In them and you in me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Amazing words by Jesus praying for unity in the church, praying for his disciples and saying that his prayer is that the unity be the same as there is in the father and the son, as the father and the son are unified in one in all goals together, that we be joined with the father and the son and we also be unified with them so that in everything we do, we will spread the gospel of Jesus Christ because we will be unified. It will not be about us individually. We're not advancing our own individual uh, merits. We're advancing the, the merits of Jesus Christ. And so when you think about uh, the early church, one of the things that strikes me is the simplicity of the early church, led effectively by, by one man, God, Jesus Christ himself, uh, as that unifying force. And you see that in everything that that early church did. It was the mark of that early church that they had that unity. And so we must strike, really, as, as followers of Jesus, I believe we want to strike to have the same unity that was evident in the apostolic church uh, in those days. And if you want to see what that was like, turn again. We've seen it before. Turn to Acts chapter 2. Because this shows you the kind of unity, really, that God wants from us. And we're going to spend this whole lesson talking about this. But Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves, this is the early church, to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Verse 45. Selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together In the temple courts, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. What you see here is a unity of purpose uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit, a commonality of goal to advance the love of Jesus Christ, to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not about individuals being elevated. It's not about me being honored 
or respected or having somebody say to me, you need to do this, you need to do that. Instead, you see people submitting to God, bowing to God, recognizing that they're called within the gifts that God has given us. And each of us has have some gifts. We put those gifts back to God. And we all have different gifts. You know, some of us have gifts for affirmation. Some of us have gifts for encouragement. Some of us have gifts to help others. Uh, some of us have the gifts of affluence. Some of us have the gifts to teach or preach. And so the thing is not to say that you who have a gift of, let's say, for helps or administration to say, really, I want to preach. All right. Well, if your gift was to preach, God would give you an opportunity to preach. God is not going to let you uh, uh, be in, in uh, a dark place with your gift. He's going to elevate you. But instead, you bow to the submission of God. It's God who gave you the gift and God who will call you out. Uh, and so that's, that's what it is. Even if in some ways you don't want to uh, exhibit that gift, God will find a way to make you exhibit that gift. All right? I'm a perfect example of that. All right? It's the last place in the world I ever thought that I would be or do. And yet within the, the, the wisdom of God, uh, he called me to do this. I didn't understand this. In some ways, I still don't understand it. But, but you see, that's how God works. All right? So even if you say, I don't want to do it, it's not my thing, I'd rather be in the back row. Well, if you submit to God, uh, God will honor what he wants with you, and you all have a gift, and he will call you in that way. And so when you consider all of the divisions that have taken place in the Christian church over the centuries, isn't it amazing that God still bothers with the church? I mean, seriously, when you look and you stand back and, and take a look at all of the divisiveness in the church, and I talk about the church universal, not any one particular church, but, but the church universal, you come away with a saying, my gosh, it is amazing that God still tarries and uses the church, and yet God does because that's his original purpose. And so we've talked about the marks of the church. Uh, and, and it's interesting that all of the marks of the church that we've talked about bear relationship to either God or to each other. Uh, and, we, and we talked about that in, in terms of, uh, and unity is one of those. Unity is our relationship with each other, God and God, joining with each other and God, unifying our efforts for the kingdom of God. And so we're going to talk about that today. And lastly, next week, we're going to talk about love which is the last mark of the church, which effectively ties everything together. Uh, and that's going to be important. So what kind of unity are we talking about? Uh, we are not meant to function like a modern corporation. Let me repeat that. We are not meant to function like a modern corporation. Uh, and that includes the church universal, and that includes individual churches. God does not call us to function like a modern corporation. You don't need a pastor that's a chief executive officer, all right? You need a, a pastor who is sold out to God, praying to God for wisdom, uh, speaking to the people through the Holy Spirit-inspired messages, and having everybody bow in submission to God, working together within their own gifts. That's what, you, that's what God is looking for. Uh, and when you go and look at the early church, you see in the early church, it was filled with vitality and power, and yet you didn't see any kind of corporate organization. In fact, it was rather disorganized. 
Uh, and and uh, honestly, I think that's how God wants it to be. He'd rather have the church function with vitality, each person stepping out in, in for God based on the gifts that we have, bowing in submission to God without the corporate unity with one person or one board or one delegating determine how it should be functioning. That is not the will of God. That is not the will of God. Um, and later on, as you trace the history of Christianity and you trace it through the Middle Ages, you will see that once Constantine, the Roman emperor, adopted Christianity, and when he adopted Christianity, somewhere in the area of around three or 400 AD, when he adopted Christianity and effectively took the imprimatur of Rome and put it on Christianity, the church from that time forward really didn't prosper anywhere as well as it did during the early apostolic ages. It did not. Why? Because it became a corporate unified event. This is not what God wants. We don't need the emperor to lead the church or one designated person to lead the church. Christ leads the church. Christ leads the church. All right? And so we bow in submission to Christ. That is our leader, not a man-made human uh, corporate event. And what happened is as the church went forward through the Middle Ages, the, uh, the uh, unity of the church, the corporate unity of the church, the man-made unity of the church got stronger and stronger until its foot was all over Europe. But people weren't being called to Jesus Christ. The vitality of the church had left, all right? Why? Because the individual Holy Spirit-inspired unity of each of us had been displaced by this man-made corporate unity, which never is the will of God, all right? Never is the will of God. Now, I'm not... Uh, I'm, I'm not indicting one church on this, okay? I don't want you to think that I'm just indicting the Roman church because this, this problem lasts even today in individual denominations. Do you think that individual denominations are exempt from this today? Of course not. I mean, it's hard to find any organization, any Protestant organization that is not being led in a corporate manner. They all have some type of corporate hierarchy, all right, because that's how they believe God wants them to function. Well, let me clue you in, folks. I read the Bible. I don't see it that way in the Bible. I see in the Bible instead uh, an individual unity brought down to individual churches inspired by the Holy Spirit. I don't see one overarching uh, political entity over the church. I don't see it that way. Uh, and I think this lesson proves it, that that's not the way it is, that that's, Jesus is looking for us to be unified individually with the Father and with Jesus. That's what this is about. And so we need to understand this. Uh, and so God didn't have anything to do with that corporate unity that took place in the Roman church in the Middle Ages until finally the Reformation took place. And, and even those churches today that have come out of the Reformation, I'm sad to say that if you went in many of those churches today, you would still see today the corporate entity, the corporate unity that was in place in the Roman church. So don't think that just because uh, there are Protestant denominations that the Protestants have elevated themselves, maybe for a while, 
But I think what happens is that as human beings, we all slide back to wanting to have some kind of control over the work of God, the church of God. And there's only one, Jesus Christ. There's only one leader. There's only one unity. It's through the Holy Spirit. And that's the nature of this lesson today. And so Jesus is indicating this. So the real unity Christ prays for is a unity parallel to the unity that exists within the Godhead. That's the unity. Jesus is speaking of that in these verses. As he says, you are in me, I am in you. They are in you and they are in me. May they be brought to complete unity. That's what it is. <clears throat> being like us, Father, being within us, serving us in every way. This means the church is to have a spiritual Unity. That's the key word. I, I bolded that on the outline. A spiritual unity, not a physical unity, not a political unity, all right, but a spiritual unity, unified in the spirit of God for the work of God. Uh, and, and so what it means is that each of us takes the gifts that God has given us, and each of us has gifts. We know that God gives at least one gift to every single uh, disciple. In some cases, he gives multiple gifts. He never gives all gifts. No one person has all the gifts, but the gifts are dispensed. And within the receipt of you getting the gift, you need to bow in submission through the Holy Spirit to God himself and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Where do I go? How do I act? And you see these opportunities today, even as you look at the Good News Club and you understand that or see the opportunity to help with the BLG uh, dinners. All of these things require you being in submission to God. God, how do you want me to act? Okay, it's not a case then of you saying, you know, I should be a preacher. I should have my own church. I'm not being recognized. I'm an, I am an extremely intelligent person. Why doesn't the church point me out and elevate me? Now, you might not say this out loud, but you might think it in your heart. And let me tell you something. Don't ever look for the approval of man. I mean this. Don't ever look for the approval of man, because most times when you get approved by man, generally speaking, you're probably outside the will of God. I'm sorry to say that. Look instead for the approval of God. Are you walking with God? Are you being where God wants you to be? Are you putting your talents and gifts before the throne of God? Are you bowing in submission? Are you not looking for honors? Are you not looking to be elevated, but instead, Lord, I'll serve you where you want me to be. I'll do what you want me to be. You know, it's, again, I'm going to give an example of my own life. When I came to terms that God had called me to this, into this kind of work, I had certain visions of grandeur. I thought, oh, well, you know, with my background and my education, I'm sure God would want me to lead some large para-Christian effort. You know? Who knows? Maybe the Red Cross. <laughs> you understand? It's just the natural tendency of who we are. It's like, okay, God, you know, you gave me gifts. I'm all in for you. And that's what I, you know, and Gary Chapman came down and was at the house and we chatted multiple days. And he, he told me that he was going to look around in the United States to see what, what need there was. And guess what? Nothing came knocking at the door, nothing until finally I bowed in submission and humility and recognized I had to have five guys in my house every Monday for a Bible study. Not very glorifying. 
not, not uh, very honorific, all right? But that's exactly what God wanted. He wanted me to bury my face in the dust and to honor God and to do what God called me to do. And when I did that, then God would ultimately uh, elevate that work if it was God's work. And clearly he has elevated that work. But the key was, it's not what I had in my own mind. All right, and I would say to you, that's the lesson for you. You have to really make a white funeral to your mind. Somebody asked me, what do I mean by that? It means actually putting your intellect on a funeral pyre and burning it and saying, I will separate myself from what I think of my head and what I think of my mind and what I think of my desires. And instead, Lord, I will take your, your will uh, and your desires. I will walk with you. And when you do this, there is unity in your work, God is unified with you because now it's not about you. It's about God. All right. That's the lesson today, how to be at one with God. And you see this unity. And so this is a very important lesson to understand. Turn to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12. When I wrote this lesson this week, I said to Linda early on, I said, this is not an easy topic to teach. This is not an easy topic to teach. It's not, but it is a really, really important subject. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4. And now we're talking about how unity works, and it works within the gifts. It's within the gifts. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. This is verse 4. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. How do you like that? Each has a different gift, each has a different service, uh, but even within the various service and within the various gifts, it is unified under the umbrella of the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ. When we bow in submission to God, when it's not about you individually, when you're not elevating yourself, but instead elevating the work of God, this is important. Now look also, if you would, uh, at verse 12. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts. And though all of its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. We are baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jew or Greek, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. What does that mean? There's one God. There's one spirit. There's one body. We are all joined to the one body. There's not multiple bodies, but there's one. There's only one spirit. When you were saved and regenerated, that one spirit, the Holy Spirit sealed you forever making you a child of God forever. And so now within that one body, God calls us in unity to be a member of that body. Uh, and so take a look further on down, if you would, um, uh, and, and re look at re verse 14. Now, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. Don't you write, love the way St. Paul writes? I mean, it's just amazing. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be, if they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. Do you see how important it is to be unified in the body of Christ? Look, 
God needs every single gift. There's not one gift that stands alone. Don't think, well, the big gift is preaching. It's preaching. Without preaching, there's no church. Wrong. You could have the greatest preacher in the world. He could be up here preaching every day. And if people just left and we didn't have people that had a gift of administration or a gift of, of, of mercy or, or a gift of affirmation or encouragement or helps, people that left here recognizing that they needed to be the hands and feet of God, needed to do things. What would it be like to have a service if we didn't have the choir? who there, people are giving their gifts to honor God, doing that and spending the amount of time necessary. And I bow to the people in the choir in terms of the amount of time that, you, that you're doing. You're honoring God with your gifts or the orchestra. It's not just the preacher. Yes, we want great preaching. We want preaching that comes from the, from the mouth of God. But the church does not function totally on preaching. Can I get an amen on that? Let's understand this. To understand this, this is important. That's why don't aspire for a gift that you do not have. It's like he said here, it's like the, the toe, which you're wishing it were the, the ear or the eye. God didn't call you to be the eye. He called you to be the hand. God didn't call you to be the mouth. He called you to be the foot. And each one of these elements together works within the unity of the Holy Spirit for the, for the edification of the church and ultimately the work of God. This is a big deal. A lot of people don't get this. A lot of people don't understand this. Um, and, and look at verse 27 further on down. Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. And in the church, God has appointed first of all apostles, second prophets, Third, teachers, then workers of miracles, also those having the gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, and those speaking in different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret, but eagerly desire the greater gifts? eagerly desire the greater gifts within the will of God, all right? Not within the will of man. It's not about a man sitting here and saying, you know what? You're an intelligent person. And you know what? You're a pretty good speaker. I'm going to make you a preacher. And you know what? That happens every day in seminaries all across the United States. And why do you think the church universal is not functioning anywhere as well as it should be? Because man has replaced God as the head of the church. When you appoint men to be preachers, instead of having God appoint preachers, that's what you're left with. All right? Only God gives the gift. Now, it's the responsibility of man to recognize the gifts. All right, it's the responsibility of man to recognize the gifts. But your gift isn't dependent upon man recognizing you because if God has given you that gift, that gift will shine like a lighthouse and man will be forced to reconcile himself to it. Really? All right, really? 
Uh, and in some ways, and I had this discussion this morning coming to church with my wife, saying that in some ways, the church is defective and deficient in even recognizing some of the gifts that exist in the church. The church is deficient, all right? Because maybe the profiles of the people that have the gifts don't fit the profiles that the church wants, all right? Instead, bow to God and recognize what God has given Recognize that what God has given, this becomes a very, very important lesson. Uh, and so you see this, that when we function together, when we put our gifts before God, when we serve God within that, that uh, unity, then for, for sure, for sure, the, advance of the church of God continues. Look at Ephesians chapter 4 on the same topic. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with, no, with another in love. By the way, that, that really becomes the key. Be patient. Be humble. Be sincere. All right? And as you do this, God honors you, uh, and your gifts will be more evident every day. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. What does it mean? Do not get involved with slander and gossip and divisiveness and anger and resentment, but promote peace. That's what God wants. He wants peace promoted through the unity of each one of us. And then he continues in verse four, there is one body. And one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over and through all and in all. Now, when he says one baptism in that sense, is he talking about water baptism? No, he's talking about baptism in the spirit, that when you were saved, when you were regenerated, that one baptism of the Holy Spirit, you were baptized through the Holy Spirit, sealing you once and for all as a God, as a child of God. That's the one baptism. And so you recognize, that's how you should leave here today. Recognize that all of us here are unified in the body of Christ. We are all unified. Now the question is, what part of that body do you serve? Are you the hands? Are you the eye? Are you the ear? Are you the foot? I don't know what you are, but you bow in submission to God and you speak to God and God makes it clear. He will raise it and elevate you and you will be, it'll become clear. And when you find it, when you recognize that gift, when you see that gift, then you bow in submission to God and you use that gift for the advancement of God. Can I get an amen on this? This becomes important. Now, here's the deal. This is why this unity is so critical as the church advances uh, across the centuries. And we're all a part of that. We need to be unified because we are fighting Satan. All right? Here's what happens. Sin is a divisive and disruptive force. Sin divides. Sin disrupts. It separates. It splinters. It wrecks and ruins and everything. It divides a man uh, within himself and against himself and against the church. 
That's what happens when sin comes in. It is produced constantly, a fight and struggle, which we are all aware of in our own lives. You know about it. But it also exists in the life of the church. That as sin comes in and divides man against man and man against God, you see the disruption in the church itself. And that's what happens. So central, absolutely central to the object of, of salvation is this great sense of God to reunite the life of the church. God wants the church united. All right. And the only way the church is going to be united is when we bow in submission to God. When we say, Lord, not my will, but your will, the gifts that you give me, God, I give back to you. Please open my eyes so I know where to serve. Show me where I need to lift up the church, where I need to encourage. And I will do that. As you call me, God, I will work for you. As you lead me, Father, I will walk with you. I'd love it if each, each and every one of you would make that silent pledge in your heart. That you would say, Father, I will go where you want me to go. And I know some of you are thinking right now, oh boy, I'm afraid if I do that, I'll be on a boat to Africa on Monday. Oh man, I'll be in Africa Tuesday and Wednesday. Oh, what a mess it's going to be. Oh, you, you think God's going to send you to Africa? I mean, what kind of a God do you have? That sounds like a God of practical jokes. I'll set the, the work in Africa back a century by sending some of us over there. All right, you know that. God would never do that. But instead, God knows where you should be, where you should be placed, what your gifts are. And when you bow in submission to him, that's how the unity of the church exists. All right, that's how it exists. This is why I say we don't need to have a modern corporation leading us. When we bow in submission to God, God calls some people as leaders. God will call, but those people he calls as leaders are not leading for their own sake. If you're really called to be a leader in the church, you bow to God and you say, Lord, I will go and do, I will lead where you want me to do. How do you want me to speak to the people? That's the kind of leader in the church that God wants. You understand? Not someone out to lift himself up. Not someone who's doing it because he's doing it for a large salary or for large benefits. And one of the things that I admired most about Billy Graham is that Billy Graham never made a lot of money. Billy Graham delegated, uh, delegated a committee of people to determine what they determined he ought to get. He never had his hands in the money because what happens with so many good people and you see it time and time again, then once they get involved and then they start putting this corporate organization together and the money rolls in, then the money poisons them. You can see it over and over and over again. There's not a single televangelist that hasn't fallen because of that. And all of it goes back to the fact that we've elevated self and not elevated God. It's when you bow to God, when you submit to God, when you put your face in the dust and you say, Lord, I recognize that all I am, all I ever will be is what you wanted me to be. Whatever gifts I have, you gave to me. I pledged God to you today. I will give back to you what you want me to give. I will put my gifts on your throne. I will serve where you want me to serve, Lord. I will be unified in the body of Christ. And when we are unified in the body of Christ, the body functions like it was meant to function when Jesus walked in this world. 
where the early church had the kind of success that it is. That's what God has called us to do. That's where God has placed us. That's the call of God on your life. Let's close. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for the lesson you've given us. I thank you for this paradigm of unity, Lord, about the early church where you want us to be. My prayer is that each and every one of us today bows in submission and humility to you, God. It's not about us. It's not about raising ourselves up, but it's about raising you and bowing to you and in humility saying, Father, I will serve. I will go. I will be what you want me to be. And as I do that and I bow in submission, the church will be raised. The work of God will be raised. And this lost world will see a message that it cannot in any other way get, get Lord. I pray to be with our people, protect them this week, and bring them back safely next week to continue the study of your word. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.